Welcome to the API experience. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the API experience. My name's Matt McClarty. I am the CTO of Boomi, and it's great to have you here. As always, I am joined by our, the most wonderful co-host in the world, Mr. Mike Amundsen. Mike, how are you doing? Doing okay. We're uh, we're experiencing what we call uh, a false fall here. The weather is uh, breezy, getting a little bit cooler. It's really, really, really kind of nice to get out and about. And uh, I'm looking forward to today's episode. Awesome. Yeah, it's a bit fall-like here. We, uh, I had the pleasure since our last episode of uh, taking a trip to visit family in Montreal and Toronto. And now I'm back in Vancouver, feeling very, very Canadian these days. So it's, uh, yeah, but <laughs> it's uh, back to school here. Um, you know, into the fall swing of things, I guess, even though I guess we're still, we're still, I think we have one more day of summer. Is this the last day of summer officially? Yeah, I think, so, I think it, we're, we're real close. Yeah. Real okay. close. All right. Well, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're kind of expressing, uh, these things that affect us as, as humans. And, and today's topic is going to be the human side of API strategy. Uh-huh, and for good. that, for, for that topic, we're, extremely privileged to be joined by you know a, an expert in the area of api strategy someone who is always exploring all aspects of api strategy but definitely is going to share a lot around the, the sort of the people element of what goes into an api strategy which can always be the hard part but the most rewarding part so today's guest is claire barrett who is director at api's first co-founder of the api collective and lead at Women in APIs, and we're going to talk about all those things. But Claire, welcome to the API experience. Thank you very much, Matt and Mike. Great to be here. Awesome. So we always like to, to uh, you know, again, reflecting the human side, um, we're going to get into that topic around API strategy, but it would be great for our listeners if you could kind of share, um, you know, what, how did you get into this crazy world of APIs? You know, what was your path in? So I've often described my career as a bit of a zigzag um, uh, uh, life <laughs> um, mm-hmm. professionally. Um, I've kind of zigged and zagged between uh, being consulted to and consulting uh, mm-hmm. for um, much of my career, always around large uh, organizations that are seeking to uh, change and improve at, at scale um, mm-hmm. how they uh, manage, deliver, execute IT related, uh, um, IT enabled strategy, if you like. Uh, so uh, I'm probably what the Australians might call a bit of a bower bird when it comes to <laughs> ideas. I collect and and connect across disciplines. Um, I guess I always found myself working in and around uh, IT enabled change, helping people understand the bigger picture, and then contextualizing that actually in IT leadership or in IT um, business, in business architecture or um, uh, large-scale program initiative planning and execution. And as APIs have emerged increasingly over recent years as being a kind of core tenet to change, um, I used to kind of say it was alongside cloud and AI as 
three things that you need to be really good at to Mm -hmm. um, execute on the kind of business strategies that people are wanting to achieve. Um, APIs to me kind of struggle with a bit of a PR problem um, (laughs) in that everybody understood at least what AI was (laughs) even before they, (laughs) before the last 12 months played out. Um, (laughs) uh, Cloud was kind of like, well, everybody backed their phone up to the cloud. So they had a kind of impression of it. (laughs) Um, APIs was like, what does the acronym stand for again? Still, even though for many, uh, it's been you know no surprises for for decades actually. So, I've I really like the fact that the things that need to be right for APIs are the things that organisations are trying to get right at scale, whether that's collaborating across business tech in terms of creating and coming up with new ideas, new ways of getting revenue. It creates new roles. It underpins new operating models. Uh, it allows technologists to sit alongside their inverted commas traditional business colleagues and explain what the customer of an API actually does as an engineer. So I like all of that side of things. Um, and I guess that's kind of how I've ended up <laughs> being in the space. I, I love your your Bowerbird example, really, is it because you know I, even the way you ex- describe it is you're pulling from all of these sorts of places. You know, revenue generating, organizational uh, teams, API as a technology, AI, this cloud. There's so many things going on. It sort of leads to the the very first question I had on my mind, which was, there is a fair amount of confusion about what an API strategy is. How is that different from some other strategy, or how do you describe it? Is it highly technical? Is it more product oriented? And it turns out, as with so many other things in our space, you mentioned sort of the uh, the the, uh, the fact that it's a bit uh, misunderstood or not quite understood. There are lots of possible definitions, even for the phrase API strategy. So, when when you talk to customers and you talk to audiences, what is what is your definition of that term, and or how does that relate? What is API strategy when when you when it kind of boils down to it? Um, dare I say, I probably avoid trying to overdefine it. To <laughs> Good job. <laughs> um, but largely because, I mean, we are we know um, in the the tech industry at large, we are um, serial offenders at I think using uh, the same terms for different things or using multiple terms for the same thing. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, what I would normally recommend for an organisation is like, if you've what what decisions you're trying to make or what thinking are you trying to move in the organization and so for example are you are you trying to get support for investment in some api related technologies or training and education or um, governance processes are you trying to get your arms around uh, api proliferation uh, in in uh, in areas of the organization or beyond your organization that you that you feel are exposing you in some way to some kind of operational risk are you um, looking for consistency are you, are you know, like what is it that you actually want done um, is that a strategy or a plan I I, it, I I actually don't think it makes too much of a difference mm-hmm. um, what I think an API strategy should be about is it should be about the um, the building and sustaining of excellence in API process, practice, management systems, human capabilities, the things that will enable business and increasingly technology colleagues 
to realize their customer goals, their business goals, their their um, their user um, uh, uh, community goals and ambitions that are brought to life with APIs. So it's like, what's the stuff um, mm. uh, that will enable those other strategies to come to life? I don't believe that it is what APIs will make a difference. That mm. to me should be part of a a product strategy or a business strategy or a, mm-hmm. um, even a technology team strategy. But but I'm not precious about it, to be honest, because <laughs> it depends on what the need is. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and I think that that sort of reflects the way that you've described it there as, you know, it's not it's not really about the APIs. It's about what they're how they're foundational to these outcomes. It can certainly be the process that you might choose to work out what those APIs are and how you govern to that. That's absolutely could be part of the strategy. Exactly. All the, ena- so the, the enablement that's going on. I mean, and I've seen, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've used taglines in your work around get strategy done, making strategy happen, you know, again, really focusing on the outcomes. And so, so when you're, you know, working with the organizations you work with to help them on API strategy, to help them, you know, put in those processes and, and, and human aspects, all that stuff. Like how many of the obstacles in your experience in getting strategy done relate back to that, the human element when it comes to API strategy? I, I, I think it's, it's such a great question. It actually, you know, I'd almost ask, I can't think of an obstacle that doesn't have a human element in it. Or, <laughs> right, I mean, throw me one that, that, that we'll see if it if it if we can think of one that doesn't have a human side because it can either come from. I mean, let's practically talk about um, let's say, for example, medium-sized, large organisations in incumbent industries or sectors that are going through change. That tends to be where where um, I spend a lot of my my time. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be obstacles coming from. Uh, you know, API skills shortages internally. Well, that could be um, so. So maybe that APIs are being designed without all of the right standards included. Is that because the the systems or the processes are not there, or it could actually just be the training or the education for the people that are going mm. through that design process? Are they designing the right APIs? Well, perhaps they've got the right people in the room to be uh, coming up with the concept around that design. Uh, are um, APIs still in the domain and the remit of just, they're just a tech thing. They're kind of a, a better way to integrate. They're not actually um, uh, spearheading and enabling um, new ways of realizing opportunities in the API economy. Well, that's probably an education, maybe even a funding or a, um, a, a business driver need, probably a human, human element in there. Um, a lot of the uh, even reasons why people might not reuse an existing API because it doesn't do exactly what they want. Well, that could be an education uh, process for people in rethinking about APIs, API design and development as a kind of order-taking role as distinct from actually a, a partnership um, uh, proposition on really thinking about what the future API consumer could look like and all of the needs that might go around that. Yeah. So all, again, you know, all of these, they're sort of different viewports on the same challenge, right? Are the right people in the room or is the right, is, is there the proper focus on the consumer? Um, are, are you just simply uh, taking orders or are you actually building a product or sort of owning a product? All of those have a lot to do with the way people interact with each other, you know, creating trust, creating teams, all these kinds of things. 
So there's a lot of there's a lot of human elements in this, and I think again, as Matt had mentioned, I think it's one of the things I, I just love when I when I hear you talk. You, you talk a lot about these, but so what I'm going to ask is kind of is there is there a common thread? Is there like the most common case where you know this is actually a humans problem, not necessarily a tech problem? Um, are there common assumptions or oversights that that lead people into get kind of getting into trouble with with this idea of whatever your API strategy is, if that if that makes sense? So yes, I think there are um, certainly column, common elements, although they probably play out in different types of digital transformation uh, approaches that people are adopting which kind of can feels, at least with organizations that we talk to, to be a little bit different depending on sector and industry. So, for example, in highly regulated industries uh, that are um, uh, where you've got very you know, large organizations that have tens of thousands of customers or citizens uh, that are processing billions of um, transactions around, you know, th- through their API you know, um, infrastructure environment, mm-hmm. they can often be faced with challenges around moving from um, being really good at executing large change safely and you know securely, mm-hmm. uh, and a- adopting more um, uh, quicker, faster turnaround pieces with while while they're going through major legacy overhaul and upgrade and 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 componentizing more of their uh, tech a state, if you like, um, you might have organizations that are strong in product. They're in FMCG industries. They're, um, uh, uh, they've come, if you like, from a physical product mindset and thinking and maybe funding model, but are looking to really embrace and go hard on a digital product agenda. Um, Mm -hmm. some of those human elements might be more around, um, thinking about what, uh, ch- changing some of the tech operating model to be able to support the business leadership that's moving quite fast, if you like. So mm-hmm. uh, it may be that API standards and designs and governance needs to be quite centralised from an organisation that traditionally has been fairly decentralised, not even federated mm-hmm. in that space. And mm-hmm. so you've got you know, your multiple API ways of doing things with, um, that you need to be able to get your arms around if you want to solve a problem across those traditional silos, which is where a lot of the innovation is coming from. How do you, how do you do that? How do you bring teams, your, your legal colleagues, your um, uh, risk colleagues, your uh, pri- mark, you know, product pricing colleagues along with the rethinking mm-hmm. that you're doing? Those seem to be things that we see uh, particularly in those kind of sectors. And then you've got, People increasingly looking at kind of what I might call a kind of social um, uh, social side of they've got a strong ESG um, environmental um, mm-hmm, societal sure. gov- um, uh, mm-hmm. governance view of being ethical around uh, how they use and think about technology and the teams that are involved and that tends to be uh, deeply connected in with the sorts of people that they're using um, mm-hmm. or they're seeking to attract and retain top talent through the meaningfulness, you know, what the meaning that they can deliver in their, in their work in terms of what it does in solving, solving the big problems facing society or climate or hmm. um, uh, those kinds of things. It's, it's interesting that you bring up that sort of 
incentive side of things because it's so it can be so impactful and sometimes so hidden um you know and, and overlooked so i think that's a great one to bring up in terms of what's being overlooked just just kind of on the on the organizational dynamics that you're alluding to there though right where where you've got companies that are in a the have the inertia of the status quo which could come in the form of being really good at physical product uh, delivery or could be really good at you know stable infrastructure and so on and and just the the need for change and, and you know being so tightly linked with with apis you know i i you've probably seen this as well that i've definitely seen this organizational shift happening now where companies in every industry um you know maybe aren't aren't ready to say oh every company is a tech company but they're recognizing that through digital transformation, through APIs, uh, just the realities of, uh, of of what we went through societally is in the pandemic uh, lockdown and so on. Like di- digital is the growth engine for for so many industries and offers the opportunity for growth. They're seeing that you know this having that what I might call the old school model of a big centralized IT organization that does all the digital work and takes order from the business, like that's breaking down. Um, we've seen like the book Team Topologies has been very influential um, around setting a template for how organizations might move towards more of a cross-functional organizational model. Um, I've seen some organizations, even in like physical product manufacturing that are moving to what they're calling a product organization, which means they're bringing technology resources into the business and, and, and what you alluded to there is sort of federating things out, you know, how much are you seeing that, that shift and, and how, how fundamental is that to succeeding with API strategy? So I, I think it, I mean, as, as you would, I'm sure well know, it, it's widely cited as kind of one of the things that's important to be able to do and achieve and work out how to execute on as a, as an enabler of this move to a more digitally supported, transformed um, world, Mm -hmm. Uh, the reality of what it means when it, uh, when it hits the ground is where uh, I think we're seeing that people are needing to understand what it really, really looks like. So they can kind of, they get, they get the big, the, the broad intent, Mm -hmm. but, the reality of so so I t- something to talk about it's like needing to be able to soar like a condor, but also to be able to um, be on the ground and 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 be like a small field bird or <laughs> something. You, you've got to be, um, and it uh, and and from the big picture perspective, it all looks great, um, and it's it's it is aspirationally where a lot of people want to go and where a lot of organizational funding executive support drive commitment talent is 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 you know is driving towards mm-hmm. the execution for some is is challenging and i think mm. it's um great i i mean and there's there's a number of things and part of that is the the just the traditional whether it's just mindset processes the whole way stuff gets mm-hmm. done yeah. um needs to be rethought and whether that that's that's un, uh, you know that that's uncomfortable for people. Um, sometimes you've got one level you may have a uh, a desire to have a sufficiently thought through plan before people will commit. 
Hmm. Um, so they're overthinking mm-hmm. very early, like they're going on a on a trek <laughs> across a lot of mountains mm-hmm. and a lot of mountain passes, and they're mm-hmm. looking at the really detailed, you know, one to <laughs> detailed map of what's happening um, down to a very very you know, I don't know, uh, a few hundred yards kind of level of visibility, mm-hmm. and expecting that that's what it, uh, but they don't yet know what it's going to look and feel like mm-hmm. in a few days or weeks or months from now, and. Yeah. They're trying to plan to a lot of detail because that's how they've been re- got really good at executing stuff. They've had to. Um, so you've got that kind of change. I think people underestimate um, how much capacity your middle managers, senior leaders and so on need to have to have time to catch up while they're still delivering a lot on today and often having to respond to some of the economic climate. So this, mm. the research yep. is bearing out there's a lot of stress that people mm. are feeling in um, uh, in in trying to uh, build into this big picture, have enough time and enough breathing space to, mm. to rethink and absorb while also running today's world, particularly if that means there's more of a move in this product structure to have the whole, you know, you build it, you run it, um, you own the whole thing stuff when you might have actually only had a part of that in the past. So you, I think there's a, a lot of really practical um, challenges with people balancing that tension, which mm. is which is where you need to provide them. That's what we do often is provide the kind of um, pressure valve um, that uh, uh, allows people that thinking time um, and to practically move forward in small, sensible steps mm-hmm. uh, um, and keep up with the change, if that makes sense. You know, one of the things, as, as you're kind of describing this, and it's come up a couple of different ways, a lot of what happens is organizational. It's sort of the culture or the health of the organization or the, the way people interact within it. Maybe you have an organization that's, that's been very successful at command and control and taking very, you know, very careful steps. I, remember, I love that analogy about having the map that's like highly detailed. But, but often we have situations where we don't really have a good map of the territory. We know we want to get to X. It's more of a sort of an exploration or it's a, it's a bit of an, more of an adventure rather than just simply an execution of a series of, of moves that have been pre, you know, preordained over time. You've got to have a little bit of uh, flexibility, maybe a little bit of improvisational nature, a little bit of like, how do we solve the problem that just came up rather than how do we prevent problems from ever coming up, right? It's a sort of a, a different approach in and with, with that in mind, that, that affects the way organizations work, that interact with each other. And I'm wondering if, if, if you could share any examples of maybe organizations that seem to be sort of getting a handle on their version of this, of this map, or, or even if it's sort of anonymous uh, examples of, of what you've experienced in the past about how people are doing well with this sort of API strategy that's really a lot about humans and the organization they're in. Yeah, I think the, the, where I've seen the success is is actually probably more with in with specific individuals and and styles leadership styles mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. teams have adopted. So it doesn't it, it may not be pervasive across an organization, but you've got these great pockets of um, uh, leadership behavior which which creates that safe space to do this experimentation that you're talking about. Now, if that means mm-hmm. creating uh, uh, earning the right to, for example, have a, uh, a cordoned off piece of, in, you know, uh, of an investment stream um, in mm-hmm. often a very, what perhaps has been a very traditional 
a model of um, people prioritizing investment based on who's got the best business case. When you're moving to this uh, um, safe experimentation, uh, continuous learning type of approach, you you need to uh, uh, give the teams um, some dedicated time and space and capacity and permission to explore and innovate. Uh, And that actually requires the people who are measuring the success of that experiment to think differently about what success might look like because success might be having gone through the process and learned something as distinct from having delivered on a traditional um, Mm. uh, benefit. I think to get people along, those experiments need to be, you need to look for the places I call it, push on the open doors. Where is it that there is already a very obvious opportunity where an API-enabled change or a um uh, a ap you know a, a streamlined an api product that could um maybe replace something that's very um clunky expensive difficult uh, and or uh, support um a, a an improved customer experience that can absorb a change quickly uh, you find those pieces and use those kinds of activities to earn the right to then do more of that in other areas. So you need leaders who can explain why this is the kind of the right thing to do and what it looks like and then give the um, and create the right incentive model, a measurement model that makes sense for where the organization's at and recognize that that matures. The the, the metrics don't last for long, <laughs> or at least the, the <laughs> metrics that move, you know, the, the metrics need to be, really understood in terms of what behavior they're trying to adjust and does that will that behavior happen through storytelling or will it happen does it actually require um, accountability or is the metrics become is it still relevant this is the api experience yeah i I was gonna when you're talking about this i've I've seen that a lot too like we're we're and, and you talked about the capacity issue with change management people being overloaded they need they need room. And I've definitely, I think that point you made about leaders inside the organization making the room. Uh, I've seen, I've definitely seen that as well, right? Where, where I think it sort of comes down to trust as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and which, you know, I think trust is vital here because it, the, the, the room can be made by trust. That would be leaders earning the trust of their bosses to say, we're going to deliver on what you want. And then as long as we do that, we're going to do some other stuff too around innovation. And then, then the leaders making the room, putting the trust in their people to say, "Look, I'm trusting you to deliver on our, you know, our core KPIs, but I'll, and I'll give you the room to do the other innovation." But you know, I'm just, I'm just sort of, as we're mm-hmm. talking through it, I'm sort of having a, the the the, uh, the epiphany we always have on these episodes around, <laughs> yes. like how, like the value of trust in in change. It's just, it just seems like it's the it's the number one thing when it comes to high-functioning organizations. Absolutely, and I think you know we can all think of the point to the examples where uh, a highly trustful team environment is one where people are the most comfortable to to mm-hmm. to um, uh, to explore the you know where, where um, the, the 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 innovation types of things. Mm. For sure. So. Um, you know, thinking again about this, the the human side and and uh, and and the importance of sort of stepping back and looking at how things are all enabled. You know, earlier on the season, actually, our first guest of the season was Emily Cannon, 
uh, who's mm. she gave us some great insights into yeah. what it's like to be an API product manager, which you, you highlighted off the top, Claire, about the roles that are created. That's probably the, the most uh, you know preeminent role that's created when you get into the API strategy space. And she was talking about like her path. Like it's, it's not like you go to school to become an API product manager. <laughs> she, she had a path where she was in technical roles and it was in technical pre-sales and so on. And she actually did a great, a great piece on that, getting into more detail. on. But, you know, you, you have a recent piece where you're talking about actually the, that precursor of how, you know, the, that there isn't a school for API product managers and that there's, it's just going to have the, in your own words, like a zigzaggy path in there. Like what, what are some of the main insights and and important parts of developing people into API product managers? Yeah, I, 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 it's becoming an increasingly uh, like interesting topic for people. And it's not just this sort of small cohort of uh, API product managers who've been doing the role usually in, in, in tech uh, companies, Mm -hmm. born tech, what I call born tech companies for some while. Um, but increasingly organizations seeing that this is something that can really make a difference. I, th- there's a couple of research points you might be interested in that uh, uh, Gartner last year um, mm-hmm. rated the top ranked challenge to achieving API strategies as missing key roles, such as an API product manager. Mm. McKinsey last year put number two in their top six recommendations for digital success as being investing in empowered product managers. And a couple of years before that, uh, some of your colleagues, Matt, in Canada, uh, some Canadian CIOs in in the highest performing organizations identified the API product manager as the fourth most in-demand IT role. Um, and they were the ones that were um, uh, achieving a lot of success. So they were kind of ahead of their time, if you like. So wow. we one of the conversations we've been having with people is how important this discipline is which then people then ask the question about, well, what is the discipline? <laughs> what does it look like? Um, and uh, one of the challenges is it becomes a bit of a purple unicorn because there's a long list of things that it could include. And if you look at some of the job descriptions that are being brought out for these people is they are um, kind of sound, they're starting to sound like very special people. They're, they're commercial. They, um, they're digitally savvy. They're, um, uh, they, they they can you know they can run project you know they've they've got like project execution they can talk to engineers uh, so they're they're becoming uh, quite um, uh, they've and they, by the way they also of course have all the soft skills so they mm-hmm. they've actually got to influence they've got to educate evangelize etc they've got to go out and talk to customers so they're trusted to do that. Um, and all of this, by the way, comes with about five years' work experience, from what I can see. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's a little unfair. But um, uh, what 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 we're seeing and, and recommending is that people recognise this as a capability to invest in, and it needs to be a in-house capability. Um, this is mm. something that is, if, if if API products and particularly any external facing. Uh, API products are going to be part of the organization's offering uh, and part of the realization of strategy. Um, uh, it, of, co- of course, it's it's important to have product managers that are really going to be invested in mm. success for the organization and who understand the business, who understand, even if they don't know the heritage and detail of the systems where they're unlocking data and value to realize API product opportunity, 
they know how to have a conversation with people who do um, and they know how to be able to commercialize that stuff. So we're, we're suggesting that they, there are skills that you can train for uh, of a product manager, an API product manager specifically, but then there are other um, skills and traits that are more inherent that uh, you are a lot more difficult to, to build. And, and, and many of those are the, the human empathy <laughs> influencing types of mm. things, although you can show how to role model good collaboration, you know, design thinking kinds of processes. Uh, what is hard to, um, uh, hard to get on board very quickly is kind of understanding the essence of the, the, the business and, and how the organization uh, makes money today and therefore being able to explain and sit alongside you know a sales team or a marketing team and explore opportunities for how they could you know commercialize or make more out of opportunities tomorrow or see efficiencies or um, mm. offer social value and capital that um, they didn't have in the past and that that's uh, that's quite a lot of mental gymnastics I think to be able to do that well and and I would also say it, it can also represent a, a substantial culture change too, right? It's a bit of a shift in focus uh, in in terms of who's who's leading what and who's driving, who's influencing, and all these other things. So it's more than just finding in the magical purple unicorn to do this work, but it's also <laughs> to go to what Matt was saying, what you were talking about earlier, to, to have a trusting space where this this person could actually start doing what's needed or given the opportunity, given the space, given the room to, to try yeah. things out. It's, it's, it's quite a challenge, right? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, back to the, the themes that we've been talking about already, um, having uh, support and understanding perhaps where, where some of the um, obstacles or uh, resistance might come from. And it's never, never unintentioned, you know, sort of malintentioned resistance. It's <laughs> often just, kind of lack of time and it so for example you know an api products customer is an engineer or a person who's going to influence an engineer effectively and uh that's that's uh, quite i mean it sounds so obvious but it's still quite a difficult headspace i think for people to often get themselves into um it could be an engineer and an existing customer or a developer um, right. uh, and uh, and therefore being able to uh, work with colleagues to understand what all of that means uh, is 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 getting into a different headspace. Now, your your most recent piece, which I think was just you published a couple of days ago, which is really interesting. I think it almost brings these this these paradoxes to the surface. So we sort of, I mean, we've been talking about the human element of APIs. I think it's like the irony here is that APIs are about instantaneous digital connections it's almost you would think from the outside it's about removing people from the equation right you don't you know you don't need to have your business people in your business talk to other people in the business developers just go use an api plug things together and let the machines talk to each other right but uh you know you, you talk in that piece about the rising popularity of these embedded businesses and has as we get more advanced in the digital economy how we can sort of leverage these um, captive audiences in digital spaces and, and more immediately have these co-created 
digital experiences that involve different parties and the role APIs play. So like, I think it's an interesting example. Like, is this, it, does this make the human element less important because we're now kind of removing, uh, you know, the, the instantaneous connection is all machine to machine or, you know, what does it diminish it at all? Or is it the same story? Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, um, I, I've listened to some of your other, like your most recent podcast, I think you asked some of these questions as well um, mm. in this series. Uh, I wonder whether it, I know and this is me just thinking out loud, um, uh, whether it's it's a bit like the question of of, of AI and and where its mm. uses and and people are saying well it's yes it helps <laughs> humans be more productive and, uh, um, and and more confident but it comes with all of the health warnings associated with being taken <laughs> too literally yep. uh, and the higher order thinking it, it it can still only learn from existing thinking as opposed to that mm-hmm. that higher order connection and mm-hmm. I think whether where the you know, the really great case studies and examples of innovation are coming from. Um, mm. It's in that that higher order um, cross cross collaboration of ideas uh, that, that only comes from, uh, you know, a, a, a diverse group of thinkers um, uh, looking at the problem in a fresh set of eyes. And I, um, to my mind, that's, that's like the role of an API product manager is to mm. help facilitate some of that. And I, I don't see, at least, you know, for the near for the near future, that mm. being done uh, easily by a machine. But so, um, I'd be happy to be. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> argue. Well, trying no, to it's it's, it's probably better that way, though, right? I think maybe maybe what you're sort of alluding to is that going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, in the best case, the machines make room. They're the ones making room. Like we have leaders yeah. making room. Maybe the machines make room. I was on a. Um, uh, actually, a, a, another uh, podcast discussion this week, and we were, you know, the, someone was bringing up the point about the busy is the enemy of creative, right? So I think huh. that, that mm-hmm. if we, you know, maybe maybe the the machines can, in, in the best case, make room. I think, you know, my my worry is also though that that uh, you know we give into our our worst tendencies, and uh, you know we stop thinking. I think I think that, that's the, that's the number one thing. Like people. Uh, people want machines to do everything for them, and I think sometimes they want them too much to think for them. But we can't do that. We can't lose the thinking, right? Well, and I think also remembering that some people still need to make room to make room. They're they're still <laughs> executing on a lot of the true uh, platform enabling capabilities and everything else that brings brings the dream to life. Um, mm. We can see that those that have been at it for a long time are capitalizing on the the benefit and the opportunity, but. But others, and it may even be, you know, in, in, in well, often is in, in large organizations, not all of all parts of the organization are at the same level of maturity. There can be some people still catching up and other people who are quite far ahead um, and everything in between. And so they're not necessarily having, uh, you could you'd ask, is it, is it possible to create space uh, if you're actually still working on the problem that is going to create space? Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably at the same time that you're under pressure to um, deal with, you know, a productivity change, a merger with another organization, um, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, teams, uh, uh, colleagues that are, are feeling the stress and the pressure. Mm. All that's yeah, kind of going on. That's a lot. That's a lot, lot going on. Right? I, I make it sound really negative. I mean, it, you know, there is, uh, 
you know, also this space being created and exciting opportunities mm. and coming to life that are that are you know the, where where the real innovation is happening. And I think that's that's creating the buzz and the interest um, and the curiosity. Uh, and once people start getting the momentum, they they create that flywheel of getting right. faster and faster at it. Yeah, I guess yeah. you go you go where the energy is. Like this is why I think that's something. St- Aside from AI being about AI, like to, just the energy around it is an opportunity to harness, I guess. And that's the energy creates space too. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so so uh, talking about creating space, uh, we would be remiss totally if we didn't ask you about the latest goings on in the women in APIs community. Where um, You've recently had a, an in-person meetup. Uh, the first in quite a while, I think. How did that go? And, you know, how can we help listeners engage more in in this project, Women in APIs? Can you tell us a little more about what's going on there? Yeah, so there's there's plenty going on. Um, our membership is now well over 500 people in more than Excellent. 40 countries. So awesome. um, we're, uh, um, uh, you know, we continue to get uh, more and more people uh, finding us or wanting to find out about mm-hmm. who they can connect with uh, that can help them um, uh, you know, uh, uh, realize and understand more about you know, careers and opportunities and so on, um, and and many male allies from that uh, membership as well, uh, which is fantastic. The two things we've got going on: we've been doing in-person meetups. We call them Get Connecting at our mm-hmm. API Days um, partner uh, conferences. Uh, so the API mm-hmm. Days uh, team host um, uh, host a lot of those activities, and we partner with different organizations so most recently we've been in london we've been we're going to be in melbourne in october uh we've been in helsinki and new york also this year and um we expect to be in paris in december so uh so those have all been great and then the the other kind of flagship program for helping people be seen and heard which is the the goal of our community uh, being seen and heard in the public domain specifically mm-hmm. our flagship program is called get speaking and uh, we are now doing that uh, as an in-person program, um, and uh, uh, we've just um, done our first cohort in in-person in London, and looking to launch one in Melbourne uh, after um, API days there uh, next month. So, 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 can you explain a little bit more for our audience who might not have have stumbled into this? What what the Get Speaking program really is about and how that works? You say you've got an in person version now here. What is yeah. what is going on there? Yeah, so it's a um, uh, it has a, a, a uh, it's about helping people build skills and confidence. Mm-hmm. Importantly, uh, with speaking in the public domain, we run it as a volunteer led facilitated program. It's three ninety to ninety minute to two hour. Uh, sessions a couple of weeks apart. Um, we have partnered with Google Cloud for this program, um, who are bringing mm-hmm. uh, their own um, people and uh, support uh, content as well around um, uh, building building the confidence side in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, we so we have three in person activities, uh, small cohorts, heavily facilitated, and then uh, uh, we have a fourth step, which is paired up with a mentor or a coach from our wider global women in APIs community to have a one-on-one interaction with each of our cohort members. And that's a great way for people who can't physically join one of our in-person cities or activities to, to get involved and be supported as well. So um, yeah, early days for the in-person. We've done it virtually for about 15 cohorts and that's been uh, 
a really fantastic wow, wow. program um, that we've watched people um, really go and uh, uh, do great things from from a bit of a nudge. <laughs> um, That's fantastic. Just a bit. In the public. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, th- well, Claire, thank you so much for sharing so many insights. Um, thank you for all that you do for the global API community. Uh, it's just great to catch up. Great to have you on API Experience. So, uh, so thanks. Thank you. It's been uh, been an absolute delight, and thank you both. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thanks. Awesome, and thank you very much to to the audience for joining us here for this API Experience. We look forward to having you back for the next API Experience. Until then, bye for now. Bye.